0: Good morning. Welcome to Discovery's Digital Gathering. We are glad you're here. We are excited for what God has in store this morning. We want to invite you to download our app, which will help you stay current with our community and get further connected by filling out our new visitor card. Let's prepare our hearts for worship and for the adventure of discovering the good news of Jesus together. If you have a Bible, open with me to Acts chapter four as we continue in our conversation in the book of Acts, the series that we're calling Ekklesia. Remember, this is a Greek word that means gathering. It's the word that's most often translated in our English Bibles as church. What we're doing here as we sit in these great stories of the first Jesus followers, the early church, is having our imaginations formed, right, for what the church can be, what it has been in the past, what it can be now, what it could be in the future. And we've just had a great time so far unpacking these stories. Now, I know we just prayed a minute ago, but let's do that once again. We are gonna talk about prayer um, after all today. Um, So it feels like a good thing to do here as we get into this conversation. So Heavenly Father, we do uh, ask for uh, your spirit to be at work. We know that you are alive and active and on the move, but we got uh, like radar. We want to tune into your spirit in this moment. So uh, take our worries, our fears, our concerns, our burdens, even our joys and wins. God, would you hold them for us so that we can be open and present in this moment and again in tune with your spirit and what you want to say to us today. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. The word bold, according to Webster, means showing an ability to take risks or confident and courageous. Bold is a very interesting English word, right? We actually use it in a number of different ways. It can refer to anything from the font type that we're using, right, to coffee, uh, to color schemes. When you hear the word bold, you might think of things like uh, ancient nights or Star Trek or soap operas. And yet, when was the last time that you thought to yourself, there goes a bold person? Or when was the last time that you used the word bold to describe something that you did? We don't really use it to talk about people as much these days. We, we tend to value words like brave, maybe even courage a little bit more in our culture. Boldness maybe feels outdated maybe a little presumptuous or pompous, maybe even a little bit foolish. Then, then for those of us with church experience, and let's be honest here, church baggage, we have maybe some negative associations with this word bold, right? We may have had experiences of being asked to do something that felt embarrassing or pushy, all in the name of having a bold faith, or maybe we just feel ashamed or frustrated, by our own perceptions that we're not very bold in our faith, that somehow we're like lame Christians because we don't do enough crazy stuff in the name of Jesus. My encouragement to you this morning, especially if you're feeling that way, is this. The ecclesia, the first church felt the same way, so much so that they prayed for boldness. Look at the end here of our section in Acts chapter 4. We're going to go up through verse 31. So look at verses 29 and 31. Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. God, help us to be bold. After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and they spoke the word of God boldly. Now, let's rewind the tape here and figure out how we get to this point where the earth is shaking and the early church is now out kind of in the streets speaking the word of God boldly. Today's story is really part two, part two to the story that we looked at last week, right? Remember back Acts chapter three, Peter and John are on their way into the temple. They heal a man who was sitting outside the gates of the temple, this man who could not walk, right? They, they help him uh, get up and start walking and he's like, Just uh, amazed and and stoked and worshiping God. And this draws a lot of attention that leads to Peter delivering his second uh, incredible impromptu sermon in these early moments in the story of Acts. Now, there are a couple of things that Peter does in this sermon that are very interesting. First thing is he deflects all the credit for the teaching away from himself and John and towards. God, Acts 3.12, fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Meaning this this healing that's just taking place. Why are you surprised? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we made this man walk? Peter makes it very clear. This is not about us. This is not about me, Peter, this guy, John. This is about Jesus and his spirit working through us. Second, the, the second thing Peter does here is he tells the big story of God's redemptive work. He doesn't just leave it at, hey, this this is all about Jesus. He then goes on to explain the big story. He goes all the way back to Abraham, and then he explains how Jesus is the fulfillment of the Old Testament story, this long waiting for a Messiah, a Savior, a leader, who would come and rescue these people. This is what we here at Discovery call gospeling. Right? This is kind of a, a funny word that, that we've sort of made up, but gospeling is how we share the good news of Jesus. Now, in the kind of larger church over the last 40 to 50 years, there's been this tendency to reduce gospeling to what we might call propositional truths, like it's this sort of bullet point thing, right? Like you're a sinner, Jesus saves you, you go to heaven, you know, sort of boom, 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 right? And, and there's a certain uh, efficiency in that way of gospeling, but it is not how Peter, and it is not how so many others in the book of Acts do it. When they gospel, they tell the big story. Now, as Peter tells the story, he does not mince words, right? He explains how their rejection led directly to Jesus' death, which... Sounds pretty harsh, but ultimately Peter says this is actually good news, right? This is the best news possible, that Jesus has died in our place. This is what it means, that he's the Messiah, that he sacrificed his life for us and then overcame the power of sin and death through his resurrection, right? And now, here's the really great news. You have the opportunity to turn, to repent, to accept and follow Jesus, and then, as Peter says in verse 19, to enjoy the refreshing that comes from this, that comes from the good news of the resurrection. Now, all of that brings us then into the action of chapter 4. Peter finishes this speech, and it gets the attention of various authorities. They are upset with what Peter and John are doing, and Peter and John get thrown into prison for the night. This is the first, actually, of many imprisonments that we will see throughout the book of Acts. The ecclesia stirs up what the late, great John Lewis called good trouble. They stirred up good trouble, and it's very compelling. Look at verse 4 in chapter 4. Many who heard believed. The number who believed grew to about 5,000. So there's this healing that Peter uh, explains. This is not about us. This is about Jesus. Jesus is the fulfillment of the old story. His sacrifice and death is what brings us life. Uh, and life abundantly, and then they get in trouble, they get thrown in prison, and the church grows. This is always so fascinating to me, it's a bit of a tangent, but bear with me for a moment. There's always this um, conversation in the church about like growth and how do we like see renewal, revival happen? How does the church grow, you know, in our changing culture? And that there's oftentimes in those conversations this like pull back to, to acts. I mean we're doing it, right? in some ways. In this conversation and so it's like well if we could just get back to like the original church and how they did things we'd see the church grow again and but one of the things that is always left out is the prison part of it right like a, a church growth strategy for the early church was to get thrown in prison <laughs> but that's not something we get super excited about these days now Peter and John spend the night in prison and then the next day they are brought out to kind of uh, account for their actions. There's a fascinating connection here. This guy named Caiaphas is one of the judges, if you will, who's going to be over the trial of Peter and John. He also happened to be over the trial of Jesus. And this is a really important uh, thing to note here because uh, put yourself in Peter and John's place for a minute. This is a terrifying experience. The the same Guy who ordered Jesus killed about three months ago is now holding your fate in his hands. Terrifying moment for Peter and John. The question that they are asked is this, By what power or name did you do this? This is verse 7 here. Now this is a very interesting question because Peter said at the healing, And then in his his sort of explanation of what happened, we did this in the name of Jesus, right? In the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And then later on when he says, it's not about us, it's about Jesus, we did this in his name. Verse 10, Peter very clearly states, we did this. This man was healed in the name of Jesus. And then he goes on to say, salvation is found in no one else. For there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. Verse 13, When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished and took note that these men had been with Jesus. Kind of a backhanded compliment there, right? But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there with them, there was nothing they could say. What are they going to do? Here are these unschooled men doing incredible things in the name of Jesus. The man they healed is literally standing right there with them and they're very frustrated by all of this but they can't really figure out anything to do in response. So what they decide to do then is say, okay, you're free to go. We, have, we can't really charge you with anything. Just please stop speaking and, and doing these things in Jesus' name. Okay? We got a deal here? Peter and John, though, respond by saying, this is verse 20, we can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. We can't help but speak about what we have seen and heard. There are a few more kind of empty threats in response to this, but then Peter and John are released and they head back to their people. This is how Luke says it. They head back to their people. I love this. Don't miss this. The church had become their people And so when they get out of prison after this this terrifying but very courageous, bold encounter with the Jewish leadership, with Caiaphas, they immediately go to their people. The church had become their people. They tell them the story of what happened and then the ecclesia, right, the church raised their voices together in prayer. Their immediate response to this external threat, it is not, well, what do we do and should we pick it or protest or let's let's talk about it. They don't, um, you know, propose new legislation or anything like that. Their immediate response to this external threat is to pray together. And they specifically pray for two things. Number one, God, you need to move and to give us boldness. Which to me is, is such a beautiful prayer because there's there's this very, clear understanding and faith. God, you have to move, but also we have our part. God, you are the one who is sovereign, who created all of this. Ultimately, you are in charge, but also give us boldness to do what we need to do in response to all of this. Now, a couple weeks ago, we looked at how the church handled an internal threat, right? That was when we fast-forwarded to Acts chapter 15. And we said then that for Jesus, for the apostles, the early church leadership, the internal threats were always more significant, right? They required discernment and action, conversations to address those issues. Now, this does not mean that external threats were sort of non-issues or afterthoughts. They were big deals. They were big deals, but external threats drove the church to prayer, and to contending for God to move. The internal stuff, absolutely they prayed about it, but also there was conversation and discernment, and they wrote letters, and they did what they needed to do to correct the issue, to protect the church, but the external stuff was, God, we need you to move. Give us boldness, but we need you to move. And I think that the church has flipped these uh, uh, postures into the opposite direction today. We, we tend to be a little bit too hands-off about the internal stuff. Oh, you know, we, we spiritualize it, we sort of wash it away or we, we cover up things because we don't want to like get some bad press or whatever. But then we complain and we write Facebook posts and we again try to legislate away the external threats. No, they got together, they handled the internal stuff, they did what they needed to do to, move, to keep the church focused on the mission, and then when it came to the external threats, they prayed, God, you need to move. Give us boldness, but please move. So they pray, and notice they pray in the name of Jesus. They pray for boldness, for God to move, for God to heal, for wonders to be done in the name of Jesus. And there's a couple things I want us to see about how they pray. First of all, the, the prayer is immediate. And in the best sense of the word, the prayer is reactionary. Their gut level first instinct is we've got to pray and we've got to pray together. Now, we, we I think, tend to equate these kind of immediate moments in Scripture with like, improvisation or they're just sort of winging it in the moment and there's there is some of that right again this thing happened their their immediate response is prayer but their prayer is not just random it comes from some pretty deep places their prayer includes a very clear reference to psalm 2 it it includes indirect references Uh, To Jeremiah 32, Psalm 33, Psalm 146, Job 38, Isaiah 42, Isaiah 45, these references to the God who made heavens and earth. There's also echoes, I think, of Matthew 6, the Lord's prayer in this, right? Their their prayer to the Father, that His will be done, that He provides for their needs. There is this immediate, knee-jerk, we-have-to-pray reaction, but then they pray... Not reactively, but they pray from this deep rootedness in Scripture, in the story of redemption, in the truth about who God is. There's a Trinitarian feel to this prayer, right? Referencing God the Father and the Son and the Spirit. So it is immediate, but it is also rooted. And then the third thing is this prayer is effective. So effective that the ground shakes, they're filled with the Spirit and they speak boldly. So much for Caiaphas and the leadership tamping down on this thing. They pray, they contend, God move, God make us bold, and God moves and they are bold. Now, one of the things that has been a bummer of COVID, of, uh, you know, digital gatherings and and having to be distant in this way is that we have not been able to pray together in some of the ways that we used to pray together, right? The prayer of the ecclesia, the gathered church. Now, here's what I want us to do today here in the digital gathering, and especially if you're watching this live, my hope is that this coincides with the moment that we're having In the park which is we are going to pray together and we're going to take the time and the space to actually pray in person in groups as a gathered community for god to move and for us to be bold and so my invitation to you watching the digital gathering is to join us in this all right we're going to uh sing another song and close with communion but then after that should be about the time that our whole church is praying in the park. And if you want to join us in that, that would be awesome. So the challenge and invitation to you is to pray with us as we pray together in the park. Now to get us ready for that, I want to just say a couple things about praying for boldness because that can can be a very broad idea and we can maybe read a lot of different things into that. So I want to give us a little bit of a framework for the kind of boldness that we're praying for. So my first question is this, or my first frame is this. What would it look like if our community was bold in relationships? Bold in inviting, in welcoming, in pursuing, in listening. What if we were bold in friendships? I think this is a challenge for us in Davis because you know people come and go and and, and we have this sense of maybe temporariness sometimes with Uh, with the transitory nature of our community. It can take a certain boldness to make friends and then to make friends again and then to make friends again. What would it look like for our church to be bold in friendships? That's one way that you can pray for boldness. Another one would be this. What would it look like if our church was bold in storytelling and in particular in authentically opening up our lives and sharing what Jesus has done for us, right? Not, Not like Oh, look at me and all the things that I've done. But just like Peter and John, that, that like, look at what Jesus has done. Look at what Jesus has done in my life. What if we were bold in telling our stories? What if our community was bold in generosity? I think we've grown a ton in this over the last couple of years, but let's keep praying for this, right? What if we were bold in giving our time, talents, and treasures to support each other and the mission that God has given us? So bold in relationships, bold in storytelling, bold in generosity, and then this might feel a little bit redundant, but what if our community was bold in prayer? What if we were bold in prayer and contending for God to move and expecting Him to respond? Again, the the immediate reaction of the early church in response to Peter and John getting thrown into prison is, let's pray, and let's pray for God to move and for us to be bold. And they prayed, it's very clear expectantly that those things would happen. And so what would it look like for us to be bold like that in prayer? God, would you move like this? Would you move in this way? Would you provide us with these things or make this the way possible for us to move in this particular direction? What if we were bold in prayer in contending for God to move and expecting Him to respond? We're going to sing another song and then we'll close in communion. And then again, as we wrap up our time today, when the gathering ends, the digital gathering ends, I want to invite you to pray for boldness in those areas, relationships, storytelling, generosity, and prayer.